everyone, welcome back to a new episode of Skeptically Inclined Science. Uh, I'm your host Evan. And I'm Tom. It's good to good to see you guys. Welcome to our new first episode of 2021. I uh, hope you all had a great Christmas, had a great new year. Everyone seemed to have one in Ireland because now we're in a complete lockdown right now. Yeah, everybody Christmas, was forced. So. Everybody was forced to stay with the families. Yeah, so uh, I hope <laughs> you could somewhat enjoy it because now we're definitely paying the price. But anyways, I, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> straight into it yeah i'm already letting <laughs> preach on preach to people it's all your fault because you didn't stay home anyways um so on today's episode what are you going to talk about tom so i have a i have a quick news about severe allergic reaction to the pfizer vaccine and later on i'll talk about the what molecular patterns are involved in developing immune immunity after getting the vaccine okay so you're just getting giving us a deep dive into all about vaccines and what they mean and what they as, are as as deep as i can yeah okay that's good yeah so i'm just going to kind of continue as well on the vaccine topic i think vaccines is on everyone's mind right now so maybe it's just to give a, a bit more information about how vaccine trials work and as well i kind of want to just go into a little bit about the the Pfizer uh, and Moderna uh, vaccine and they finally released their they released their, their they got their data published in a journal and I kind of wanted to address some of the concerns maybe that was raised and maybe bring up some info that was maybe not said in the in the journal article so uh yeah we'll get into that yeah but how was Christmas yeah, Christmas was uh, was good. Um, I really didn't have. I had like a, a week off from work, and yeah, I was. I I got home, and it was the last night before everything shut down. So I went and met my friends for a meal, and we had like a few sociable drinks, and then <laughs> uh, yeah, I went home early, and that was it. That was, and it was so weird because like I was not gonna go really i remember we had organized it and then i said oh i won't go but i'll go maybe later after christmas and then basically everything was going downhill quickly so they shut down they were going to shut everything down the day before christmas eve kind of i think it was christmas eve uh afternoon so i was like look i might as well just go and uh enjoy this last meal before before who knows when it's going to reopen again and yeah, see my friends kind of last supper vibes yeah and yeah i really don't think i will get to have a meal outdoors <laughs> for another month at least so but it was uh it was it was a weird one because you're i was like god these are open but then i'm being told not to do this and it was just really w- weird mixed emotions because you're like i don't want to catch anything and then i was with my parents and i was mm. like oh should i not go and stay the house should i stay the house should i wear my mask all the time it's just it's such really is anxiety inducing i suppose in a way but overall are you proud of the choices that you've made (laughs) it all worked out in the end i suppose okay that's important and uh what about you did you uh enjoy your home time it was great i managed to get home i made my dad cry when i surprised him with my uh with my arrival tom uh, surprised his parents by uh oh yeah that he he, t- he told them he's coming home later than he was and then 
he got, got what you got your sister to distract them and yeah yeah pe- that was pretty out cool of and then my mom was coming home later but i didn't get the reaction out of her that what that which i was which i was expecting because she got angry with me that i didn't tell her because she didn't have enough time to cook food <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's a typical mother reaction I think. yeah but it was nice um yeah stayed home for three weeks didn't do absolutely nothing except like sitting down and drinking tea yeah and, and uh, catching my sister up. catching up my sister were working well they start working uh but at home so i was a good brother and i was like going to the shop and getting yeah. them sweets so they could like survive the work day so you're the perfect uh son slash sibling i think i was yeah and it was pretty cool though couldn't see really my friends or like we no. couldn't hang out or anything like that but other than that it was grand we, we had well yeah. i was gonna say we and we finally met for the first time in uh eight months oh. was it I, John, I think so John, tom came over to my house briefly uh and he just said hello and we both were like wow it's so weird to like actually see each other <laughs> when we're talking in physically because we've yeah. been doing this so long and it's like that we can hear the dist- like when we're recording and all that so it was just like what what what's going on right now <laughs> it was so awkward seeing you in 3d and i remember when he was like wow because after what we had talked about with the hair and the last stuff he's like wow your hair just looks awful and i was like <laughs> i got a cut i actually i got a cut a little bit shorter he's like wow your hair look is longer than ever i was like okay <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> it was so bad man <laughs> I thought you uh, woke up like this. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, but I was driving, so we couldn't really like hang out and have a beer or anything because I had to drive back home. Yeah. But yeah, it was nice. Uh, I had to get another PCR to leave Ireland because yeah. of all this thing. So I was pretty anxious as well. Like if anyone was like even had a little sniffle or little cough there, I was like, put on the mask. Yeah. Put on the mask, and um, so. But Sometimes. you're back now, you're back in, in the Netherlands now again. Yes, back again. Today was first day at work after the holiday. So yeah. I say you achieved a lot. Getting back to normal. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, let us know how did you ha- get on. I hope you enjoyed your, yeah, your your time. Uh, Hopefully no one got sick. And as well, before, uh, maybe before we go into the, uh, our, your new, our news, um, maybe we take a few minutes, or not a minute, but just take a minute to inhale and exhale. Because I think uh, it's been so anxiety and stress right now with the news and it, it's so, it seems so hopeless. I think we all just need to take a breath and be like, it'll be okay. So inhale for five and exhale. Okay, I hope you all feel better now. That was You're welcome. Heaven. I needed that. You needed that zen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've reached enlightenment now. Thank you, Evan. You're yeah. my guru. <laughs> guru <laughs> Evan from the hills of Sligo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Enough of this. Enough of this touchy feelings and stuff <laughs> like that. Let's get into. Well, let's see what happened in the world. Um, so I'm j- I'm just gonna kick it off. Is that okay, Evan? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't I don't as much. I had a lot to discuss anyway, so I didn't really um, okay. do a news headline. Um, so go ahead. 
as you are, as everybody knows, people are getting vaccinated in Europe is the um, Pfizer and the recently Moderna vaccine. I think the same thing is going on in States. And so, yeah, so with an increasing number of vaccine, people were questioning whether it be the side effects that were not really picked up during the uh, trial phases of development. And unfortunately, the CDC has started reporting the um, allergic reactions or like the anaphylactic reactions after people have been administrated with vaccines. It's not, it's not overwhelming now. And the Pfizer still doesn't consider this as an... Um, as something really, really big. They still uh, describe them as a very minor cases. Mm. So, so far for almost 2 million shots given um, in state, 21 cases developed the um, anaphylaxis. So yeah. that's that kind of works out about 11 uh, anaphylaxis cases per 1 million doses. 11? 11, and per, 11 cases per, million. Uh, per oh, 1 million doses. Oh, yeah, that's so low. It is low, but just for comparison, uh, like the flu vaccine causes about 1.3 anaphylaxis cases per yeah. 1 million. So it's like, it's almost 10 times more with this Pfizer vaccine. And what many people are referring to as the one thing that might cause this reaction is actually something that I have read before, but I kind of didn't think much about it, but it's one of the components of the vaccine uh, lipid layer is this uh, molecule called called PEG. It is known that people can develop antibodies against PEG. So yes, yeah, so PEG has been, this, this compound has been in use before, but now the pe people think that it could be one of the components that causes the, uh, the anaphylactic reaction to the, uh, oh, to the okay. vaccine. It's not like, as I said, as I said, and as Pfizer has uh, come out and said that this is, it's not something huge is I don't think if the rate's gonna be still the same, I don't think they're gonna pull out the vaccine. I think it's just yeah, it's just people develop these uh, these but, reactions, but, unfortunately. But what I've heard is that most of these people um, generally uh, have a lot of history of reactions, anyways. Um, uh, so generally, they they warn if you have uh, if you if you have a history of a lot of reactions that you maybe not to get it because there's more increased likely that you will have a no, reaction. So I, I wonder, do you, did they say how many of these people had previous reactions? To not that not that I found. Mm. Uh, however, the vaccination centers are instructed not to give the second dose to these people who have already, yeah. already experienced something. Fortunately, none of these cases uh, that developed the allergy were fatal. They all, uh, they all recovered. Mm. Uh, um, they were uh, two. Only two were treated with the epinephrine shot. Oh, okay, so, uh, so not yeah. too severe. Yeah, and the symptoms were ranging between thirty minutes to up to one hundred and fifty minutes. So if you feel bad after like two weeks after getting vaccine, I don't think you can just link it <laughs> straight to the vaccine. <laughs> I think the the time window has to be a little bit uh, smaller. Yeah. yeah, but this you know people. People just wonder because you know this is the the first mRNA vaccines and everything. Everything I think everyone is sitting on the needles now, kind of uh, looking out for anything that could yeah. go wrong. I suppose so. Yeah, it's still very promising considering this is the first time they've ever used this type of vaccine. So uh, and it's still something they can learn from. So uh, I think it's it's definitely not as pessimistic as you might seem 
Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think it was bound to happen. Yeah. Uh, some of the allergic reactions anyway. Yeah. Uh, it was just something to be expected. I wasn't, I like, and of course, I shouldn't read read anything into Twitter, but what, wasn't there one that had a, hap- a reaction in America and they all thought she had died and uh, her, like uh, her social media went quiet and they were like, what, she posts every day? Like, why is she not posted? Oh, are you referring to the nurse from... Yeah. I think she fainted. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that was an allergic reaction. Oh, maybe, so this wasn't this, this was someone, something different. I, yeah, that nurse, I think she was the first nurse in Tennessee, I think in Tennessee, in Tennessee or Alabama, I'm not sure, but she was the first one to receive the vaccine. She got the vaccine, they put her in front of the cameras and she fainted. Oh, and then, okay. And then apparently she has this condition that makes uh, makes her faint in very anxious situations or very stressful situations. And I'm just like, who gave this woman a good to go <laughs> to go in front of cameras if they knew about that? Oh <laughs> That's the worst God. PR ever. What the hell? What were they thinking? <laughs> Sounds, yeah. it just rep- seems to uh, uh, give a good representation of what's going on in America maybe yeah. right now. <laughs> and we laughing because she's not dead. It's okay to laugh. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I think these things snowball into something huge and it, yeah. it's like, no, it's it's not that interesting generally. Yeah, okay, that's cool. Yeah, I don't have any news headlines because I was just like, look, I want to just kind of go in and talk about uh, the whole... Um, vaccines anyways so yeah that's cool you have a you have a lot uh prepared anyway i have a lot to say it's weird though i have yeah i do i love very opinionated very slowly uh, turning into a guardian well it just took it took me uh it's weird like even with a few weeks off and i was like god i want to talk about this and i want to talk about that and i just like okay we can't talk about everything so um yeah so do you want to maybe it might be better that you go into your uh, okay story first because i think it's a nice um segue into how i want to talk about and i think as well just to get break it down for people that i i I know i think everyone knows what a vaccine is but i suppose um to to people who maybe haven't a clue or kids or whatever whoever might be listening that wants more info okay so yeah so i'm just gonna give maybe just a general overview of um how vaccine yeah induces immunization at the molecular level what kind of patterns are involved and at the same time maybe try to explain or debunk some of the theories that are on the internet and maybe explain a little bit why there's different components to the vaccine and why there is so many ingredients but anyway maybe just kind of give a, a current status of the vaccine so um as we already mentioned, Europe and states are more or less the same. Uh, both FDA and uh, EMA approved biotech, Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, right? The, and the only difference, I think, is that the UK medicine agency has approved the Oxford AstraZeneca. The AstraZeneca, one. yeah, I was just, yeah. That's not approved yet in Europe. No, that's that's correct. And uh, apparently this, the FDA also doesn't approve the AstraZeneca and it is because the company itself is slow to provide all necessary data mm. that, that has to be there for the approval. But yeah, so um, European Union and states have two approved vaccines and UK have, have three um, vaccines. If you, just I, one sec, if you want to hear more about the AstraZeneca and the problems, we talked about this on a previous episode, so 
you want to hear that please do check it out i don't know what yes. episode it was i think was wasn't it the previous one or the no it wasn't the previous one maybe you don't okay maybe then the second last so episode 10 yeah okay hopefully we'll uh, we'll, we'll check that <laughs> evan do you want to because uh, i kind of also looked up how many people got vaccinated and i divided it by the netherlands ireland uk and united states do you want to have a gamble at how many people are vac- were vaccinated in ireland as of the 7th of January, because that's when I uh, got the data. Uh, I, th- I think it's low, like um, like 30,000. It's half, 15,000 15, oh, 15, people. Okay. Yeah, actually Netherlands of the 9th of January had uh, 30,000 people, mm. and UK 1.32 million, and United States 6.7 million people. So okay. like these vaccines are clearly being redistributed and given to people so so what's so i'm just gonna stay focused on pfizer and moderna vaccines so what's so special about them well we've mentioned it many many times they are the mrna vaccines first of its kind the the, the stretch of the mrna that is inside them and codes for the spike protein you know that already guys and that gives us the gives us the immunization towards the virus the other components of the vaccine will include lipids that produce the nanolayer that surrounds and protects the mRNA. Just for the comparison, on the other hand, we have the AstraZeneca, which is made, AstraZeneca vaccine, which is made from the CHADOX1 virus. And this is a, a adenoviral vaccine vector. And surprisingly, it is derived from a chimpanzee adenovirus that was modified to avoid replication. And um, the immunogenic compound in this vaccine is a DNA that goes for the spike uh, protein. You know what I found out recently, actually, is that... um, Because I always thought that that Oxford AstraZeneca was a known viral vector that was used in other vaccines. But it's only ever been used in one other vaccine. Uh, And do you know what it is? Zika? No. We don't have a vaccine against Zika, I don't think. No, I don't know. It's rabies. Rabies. Um, but I, yeah, it's never, it's not commonly used as a vector. I don't know. Do you know why? You hardly know. Yeah, why. yeah. So basically, the adenovirus. The, if they would, hu- if they would use human adenoviral, there is a. It would have in, it wouldn't enough d- antibodies oh, to neutralize okay. it. They had to use different species that will cause uh, a reaction, immune reaction. Yeah, okay. because otherwise the, the 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 virus would be neutralized too quickly. Okay. Uh, because yeah, so that's why they that's why they went with the chimpanzee virus. So okay, uh, so back again, we're gonna circle back now to the Pfizer and Moderna, and we're gonna focus on the mechanism of action. And the first thing we have to understand is like what is the mRNA? Uh, so it is the intermediate step between the uh, translation and decoding of DNA uh, to the production of of protein. So we have a DNA, mRNA and protein and this goes in that direction only in humans so there is no way that the mrna vaccine can the the stretch of mrna can somehow get into you and like switch some genes like that's just that this is not how it works it goes dna rna protein but it doesn't interfere it shouldn't interfere with uh already genes that are being expressed it's just going to come in and literally be transcribed into a protein that that goes on to the yeah because 
because the the whole thing about this mRNA uh, stretch that is inside these vaccines is this is already a five prime capped. It has uh, uh, the poly L tail at the at the three prime end. It's a fully fully prepared yeah. uh, stretch of mRNA that is that is ready to be uh, to be decoded for a protein structure. Yeah. And, uh, and it's also a, when it finds itself inside the cell, is in the cytoplasm, is not even in the nucleus of the cell uh, where okay. it could interfere with anything. So okay. it's, it's like it is super, it is super um, safe from that point of view. Mm -hmm. And um, so I don't know if you know, Evan, but when I was looking to these mRNA vaccines and what people are working with them, so there are actually two different types of mRNA. You have the conventional mRNA vaccine, that is the example of Pfizer and AstraZeneca, but you also have the self-amplifying RNAs. When before the uh, actual part of the mRNA that codes for the protein, you can insert a viral particle particles that would cause the mRNA to multiply in the cytoplasm. Oh. So that's pretty cool, but this is, but the Pfizer and Moderna are using the conventional mRNA, just the uh, Straightforward. The straightforward one, yes. mRNA to DNA to protein. Yeah, and further on, <coughs> excuse me, further on, the conventional mRNAs are further divided into ex vivo loading of dendritic cells type offs and direct in vivo injections. And the main difference between these two is that with the direct in vivo injections, you would have to inject someone multiple sites around its body Mm -hmm. to get it to get it like cover whereas when you use the ex vivo loading of dendritic cells you just uh, you do the muscle injection and then the dendritic cells will take over as the antigen presenting cells and they will carry out the rest of the work so the pfizer and moderna vaccines are actually the ex vivo loading of dendritic cells type of vaccine so that's why you don't need you don't require multiple shots uh, around your body because as we learn soon enough the uh, antigen presenting cells will take take care over it. So I just also wanted to mention why uh, why we ha why do we use this um, extra components of the vaccine, this whole lipids and PEG and everything, like why, why we can't just inject a naked mRNA? Well, because mRNA is very unstable. Actually, can I ask before you go yeah. into this, maybe yeah. before we you go into that part, why would you bother? We are, we've been using the vaccines the same way the whole time and they've worked why would we bother just go into this mrna um, vaccine like what's the point of it why, why why would you bother i think it's uh production of the mrna it could be much more standardized than production of recombinant proteins which uh, is used in normal vaccines it could use for use could be could be used for some vaccines it's safer to use mrna than uh vaccines that contain some alive or weakened viral particles because you still have a risk of, of virus uh, eliciting a full full reactions. I think these are the, the 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 main reasons. And the mRNA technology has been around for a while. People have have been working with it. It's just it wasn't really used in the vaccines, but you know the science behind it. It's there, so it wasn't like a, a groundbreaking science being. Well, it was like good science but it wasn't like groundbreaking science done in the space of six months yeah people have people have known about it so it hasn't come out of nowhere they have been doing a lot of work on it yeah well the, yeah well like the field of mr work on using the uh, uh, mrna as a therapeutic as uh, like it is known it is around 
Uh, I think there was some tests done with the mRNA vaccines uh, for cancers in animals. <clears throat> but uh, I don't know much about that, but uh, they, they are in development or in research, the mRNA vaccines for cancer, as well for other infectious um, diseases that I've, uh, I've read somewhere in the paper, but like, okay, I think I'm diversing. Why are they better than the, uh, the other type of vaccines? I, I think they generally are, are safer and easier to produce. Okay. Yeah. I think that's the main thing. And why now? Why was it never done before this? That's a, that's a good question. Well, I think the groundwork was laid, uh, during the SARS and Mars epidemic. When SARS and MERS. SARS and MERS. Not MERS. MERS, sorry, yeah. <laughs> that MERS virus. God. <laughs> Imagine. Uh, so some of that work has been um, has been developed and done over the, uh, back then. And I think that these, these outbreaks just died out. I think the disease was too infectious uh, and they just kind of died out. Uh, but the science was left behind and 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 now and then this happened what was the trigger to do to to move towards the mrna i think uh, i think both pfizer and uh, and moderna have experience have played with mrna vaccines uh, before so they had they had a little bit of experience i think only astrazeneca is coming into the vaccine game without any experience mm -hmm. but these guys they did some of the mrna vaccines um i think for cancers uh, and I think there was only animal studies, but they have already played with it. So, but I uh, think I think you did answer it though in a way that because that when when this um, pandemic started, we needed something that was easy to make and could maybe made made up quickly. And they had already done a lot of work com with previous viruses similar to the SARS-CoV-2. So it just meant like why not would you not just go into that area and make mm. it where you can make it quickly when that well, what which is what we needed so i suppose i think that was the main reason in a way yeah. that it, it was so much more which more um uh it was like the first one developed because of, i think with the with the oxford and astrazeneca one they had done so much work in that area and that's why they had this adenovirus vector already produced because they could just go and straightly straight away uh make the vaccine up whereas with the others they were kind of like uh this is something they had a bit of more work it was the mrna they had more work in and they could easily ramp up production and do a lot of testing already so and you know the think, the advantage of the mrna come like bringing it to the new variant coming out it's like if there is a new virus that is more re resistant to the to the vaccine like with the mrna you, you really you just have to twinkle the code to match the to match the new sequence mm. and you know and then i don't know how the protein work would look like but i think it's not as easy to kind of develop a new protein because you know that would be that has to be a new protein if the antibody or has to be a some different protein if the antibodies don't recognize it anymore and as well, isn't it that they can put multiple different vac virus um, proteins into this uh, mRNA, so then they can produce a lot of different uh, viral proteins that can give you immunity. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I anyway, didn't hear about that. Yeah, I think that's one of the things they were saying with the the mRNA vaccines. Okay. Um. So yeah. So then, what? Uh, what? What? What's con what is in contained in this? 
yeah, uh, so, mRNA vaccine. Sure. So except for the mRNA, which is on its own too unstable and would be degraded very quickly in our system, <clears throat> Moderna and Pfizer used this cationic lipid cholesterol PEG nanoparticle to kind of surround the uh, mRNA within it and protect it and deliver it to the places where it has to be delivered. And so far, this type of carrier was tested in mice, rats, and rhesus macaque. I think how that's how you pronounce it, right? Rhesus macaque? Again, we don't know how to pronounce anything, so we'll just go with that. <laughs> just go with that. And they were tested in these animals. These, uh, these nanoparticles were tested as a part of a vaccine development for Zika, influenza virus, and rabies virus in these animals. So again, this, this, this particular nanoparticle, which there, there are subtle differences between the Pfizer and Moderna, because what's the point of having the two of the same vaccines coming from the two of the same companies? But basically, they are the same cationic lipid cholesterol peg nanoparticles. Okay. So, <clears throat> uh, so what happens when we get injected with the with the vaccine into the muscles? So, the cells are called myocytes, and they will uptake the lipid nanoparticle. And this is because the uh, the, the the cationic lipids or the charged lipids promote self assembly of all of these vaccine particles into a virus sized particle. So it's easier to take it up then by the cell. This, and what's the uh, myocyte say? That's the muscle cell. That's the muscle cell, yeah. Okay. That's the muscle cell, cell myocyte. And once it's the, the cell is taken, the, the, the particle is taken up by the endocytosis and allows for release of mRNA into cytoplasm. So basically your, your nanoparticle disintegrates inside of the, uh, of the cell uh, and the mRNA is released into the cytoplasm. The PEG uh, and the cholesterol used in the vaccine they they promote the they increase the half life of the of the compound in the system, and they they stabilize they stabilize it a little bit, and then of course the phospholipid uh, uh, bilayer that is also around the vaccine allows for e easier transition between the uh, into the cells because cell wall is also made from lipids. So once in the once cell it's released. Membrane. Cell membrane, yes. So we once the vaccine cell. is inside, once the mRNA is released, it has to be translated into the S protein because that's their function. And and, and the this S protein is, is the spike protein. S protein is the spike protein, and this is done by the cell's uh, own machinery by the ribosomes. And we result we we have, at the end of this product we have the S protein, which is then I don't think many people know this, but this is not the end of it. Once we have the S protein inside our cells. Um, it goes, it goes, it is processed through a molecules called proteosomes, uh, which basically chops the S protein oh, yeah. into small little bits. And these uh, bits are expressed on the cells receptors and the myocytes will express them on the MHC class one uh, type of receptors. And these in turn will activate CD8 T cells. If you don't remember your immune system, go back to, I think, episode three, I think we went for through T cell activation there. Well, like, maybe if I can try and make it, basically it's like, um, it's like if you were making your dinner and you cut it up and then you put it into like, a, a, you put it into an omelet and then the omelet, it gets uh, cooked up and then somehow the, the just say, imagine the onion then gets processed onto the outside of the, the omelet and then you eat the omelet and then you're like, Okay, that's a really bad example. 
<laughs> I like where you go with this. <laughs> but yeah, anyways, it just when you eat the omelette, then you become like immunized to that that yeah. onion. Basically, you're like, okay, yeah. I can recognize it now, and I'm that's that's foreign. And then you're like, you're you trigger your whole. You're like, it's in a way, it's like you're telling everyone in your family or your whole surrounding area, you're like, okay, you need to be on the lookout for this onion because it's caused this immune response. Yeah. Exactly. So okay. basically, yeah, <clears throat> great so, analogy. Uh, <laughs> so that's uh, following Evan's analogy. We we chop up the onion. In our case, this is the S protein, and then these these little bits of this S protein can be expressed on the cells as a kind of signaling beacon for the immune cells to come in, that's recognize better. the antigen, and uh, propagate the reaction. But these are the CD8 T cells, and we all know that there are also CD4 cells. But how CD4 cells can be activated? Well, cells like myocytes only have CD8 uh, uh, receptors, only have MHC class 1. And God, in its wisdom, developed special antigen-presenting cells that have another MHC class 2 kind of a receptor. So basically, the myocytes will kind of uh, process the the remnants of the S protein after the proteasome is finished with them. Some of them get expressed on the MHC class one, that's fine, but there's still loads left. They are then being processed through the Golgi apparatus, another big word, and the rough endoplasmic reticulum, and they're being expelled from the cells into the the environment. And there they can be mopped up by cells like Dendritic cells. Dendritic cells. <laughs> I blanked out. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of big words. Yes. <laughs> dendritic much. cells and macrophages. Yes. And then the dendritic cells, which are the antigen presenting cells, they have the MHC class 2 res- uh, protein. And they then they can express this chopped up S protein into the CD4 cells. And once the CD4 T cells are activated, they propagate a whole avalanche of uh, reactions through the release of uh, cytokines. And you have the activation of macrophages, you have uh, B cells, which start to proliferate and differentiate into plasma cells, which are the antibody producing cells. And these are the cells that you're really hoping for. But also the the cytokines that are released by the CD4 T helper cells, they also can work on the T cells themselves and encourage them to even higher degree of activation and uh, and proliferation. And this is also important because we need our helper cells to kind of guide us throughout the infections or how our immune cells react. The T cells are really, really important because if we wouldn't have them, our immune system can wreak chaos yeah, can okay. chaos across without anybody or anything controlling it, and this is really bad for us. Yeah. Um, so, so maybe yeah, a re- so, re- so quick recap: our muscle cells they'll activate the CD8 uh, lymphocytes, so your cytotoxic T cells. Yes, um, and they can still uh, propagate an immune response, but you really want you get your T cell helper cells or your CD4 ones. So yeah, the muscle cell will release the chopped up uh, S protein. Then these antigen presenting cells, which can are the only real cells that can um, uh, activate the CD4 or the helper cells, they take up the antigen, they'll uh, activate the CD4 cells, and then yeah. they go on and produce your uh, yeah. immune reaction. And then this gives you the immunity which you want. Exactly. So then if you want to continue on about, are you want to describe the, the memory response then, is it? Yeah, so I just I was just going to say that the dendritic cells have the opportunity to then to migrate into the lymph nodes where... You know there is uh, there is the the hotspot for all the immune cells, 
and they can expose they can activate sorry they can activate more and more of these immune cells once in the lymph nodes and throughout the course of the infection uh, T cells and the plasma cells can change the phenotype into the memory cells and uh, they will reside inside of your body uh, not active if they don't have to be but if ever if ever the uh, the antigen will be presented to them again has to be the same antigen of course they will get uh, immediately reactivated and this shortens the time that is needed for the immune response to start producing the antibodies to start producing the cytokines therefore the next time you encounter this in fact this virus the real uh, virus i suppose the, re- the real virus yes in this case then the response is going to be very quick uh, i don't think neither of moderna or vaccine said that it actually prevents from catching the infection but if you do catch it and you're vaccinated according to them you 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 will go through this uh, disease without severe any severe symptom. symptoms it's just gonna be it's just gonna be easier for you and you know if and i think that's the m- main point of this not not ending up in not ending up in the uh, hospital because of that yeah. and um I didn't see. I didn't know that there was f- new results published about the the effectiveness of the of the vaccine. So basically, it's just they published their the the journal results. So it's an article, a journal article of how they went about their protocol and the results and how they analyzed it. So that was just they only released that there at the end of December, I think, beginning of January. So it's only been recently re- released. Okay. Um, and the last thing I want to ask before uh, we mm-hmm. finish up on that is because that was something that was asked to me. They're like, "Oh, when I get this mRNA vaccine, it's going to like stay on my mus or my skeletal skeletal cells, or it's going to stay in my body forever on my cells." Um, like that no. they, they were worried that would happen, but that's no. not going to happen. No. So the mRNA will g- <clears throat> the mRNA will get degraded. Like yeah. one, uh, so it, it it does what it's what is made for, the the proteins being produced. But then within its own time, it's gonna it, it will be degraded because once it's out of this lipid uh, nanoparticle, uh, there is there is nothing else protecting it. So it only has the half life it has to to be inside the cytoplasm, and produce and and you know and produce the the, the protein. Yeah. So it and only has a limit. But will it, would, it, would it stay on the muscle cell or would the muscle cell just get destroyed anyways so that it's gone? Like, Well, because it's a muscle cells, they, they are high energy required cells and they are being constantly breaking down anyway. Oh, okay. So yeah. these cells will get break down yeah. uh, because that's how you build muscle. But yeah. So that's, <clears> so that's how they, they will die off and the new cells come on and they're, the new- they're not... They're not they're gonna not gonna. They're not gonna have that mRNA. Yeah. Oh, okay. So what, this mRNA, once it's inside the cell, it doesn't leave the cytosol. Yeah. It just stays in there. The, the mRNA is not designed by evolution to freely, nearly leave the cells and, and go somewhere yeah. else. Like you know, it's 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 extracted from the nucleus into the cytoplasm. It that it serves its role in the cytoplasm, and then that's it. Job done. Okay. Off. So it just seems like yeah, it it does. It comes in. It just super effective at what it needs to do and then that's it it, it does its job elicits the immune response and then it doesn't yeah. stay around it goes so yeah it's very um, um well highly tailored and well designed in that way i suppose so and from the from the book perspective or from what mrna is supposed to do like you know it all seems it all seems pretty cool it's just you know we just need more um, more people getting vaccinated so we can yeah. analyze more results and see how it really works yeah no but it's yeah it's great that you went into detail and explained how it works so i think 
no it's so not really well explained to people i really think and the average people don't understand it so i think it's it's a good service to try and get people to kind of try i know it's it can be difficult with the different types of cells but this is how it works it's uh and i think yeah hopefully it it makes you more uh takes it makes you less weary of the of the vaccine yeah and and once you understand it you know it's it's, it's not that scary you don't have to i think people are mostly afraid of it because they don't understand it yeah and then they go off to their own research and you know they find yeah. god knows what but yeah yeah just try to understand it yeah that's it exactly okay that was great like actually really useful thank, thank you evan it was great uh, doing this yeah <laughs> you sound so genuine <laughs> I, I am i really like i actually the best part of science for me is like all the pathways and learning different yeah. reactions between molecules i'm not really into this like big huge like people involving studies when you count each head but anyway i you like yeah. that so you yeah. dive into it <laughs> okay so you mentioned about vaccines i suppose you're kind of like the um the science guy going straight into like how molecularly it works so i'm kind of giving it more like from an epidemiology point of view and maybe how vaccines are organized and what the results kind of mean on a on a human scale, I suppose, if you mm-hmm. want to call it that. One of the things, one of the actual, uh, when you have to design a vaccine trial, when you design any clinical trial, there's different ways you can, um, you can design it. You basically, you can split your population to two like randomize it then you get your to give them one give the vaccine one you don't give the vaccine placebo then you monitor watch the you watch them over time and see how many get the disease how many don't get the disease and stuff like that is that the way these trials were designed <clears throat> basically that's how they were okay. they were kind of randomized but there's different ways you can do trials like um if sometimes it's not ethical you have to kind of give them you can give half dose or full dose to one group, half dose to one group, full dose to the other, and vice versa. Or you can uh, half the group. You could, like, for the the patient group, you can give them the dose. One group you don't give them anything. Then you kind of leave it over time. Then you and you swap them over, and you give one then the dose and one the other dose, and you kind of monitor it. Um, so this is how the way you can kind of do with different vaccine trials. So I mentioned this in the last episode, I think, about how... Actually, I don't think it was the last episode. I think it was the episode before in that all these Moderna and then the Pfizer vaccine have been given uh, US FDA emergency use approval. So they are allowed to be used uh, at the moment. So emergency use authorization means that they the results they were happy enough with the results and that they had monitored two months after they had given the second dose and they were like okay we think it's safe enough to be used in the population it doesn't get full authorization for two years after the the vaccine and that's it that's I how think the same i think the same status gave the um, european medicine agency yeah. it's also emergency yeah so I had mentioned this previously. So now that I had these uh, vaccines have emergency use authorization, it allows the volunteers in the placebo group to know whether they got the vaccine or not. And the problem is, is that when the the people in the placebo group, if they know and then they want to switch to the vaccine group, they can, they're allowed to, because it's not ethical to be like, no, you can't. 
But then the issue is if too many people switch over into the vaccine group, you're going to lose out on data, enough t- data on in the placebo group to see how like mm-hmm. uh, reactions, f- immunization uh, cases, etc., etc. Uh, and if enough too p- many people switch over, then the numbers are going to be so small in the placebo group, they're not going to be significant. And then you've already, you've wasted your two-year trial and you're like, can you really give this full authorization because you don't have enough numbers? But then you're stuck in a, it's a tricky situation because uh, you have to, you kind of, you can't just say no, refuse it. But it's like, what do you do? So they... The FDA, sorry, so back in the October, the US FDA, they issued non-binding guidance to manufacturers, urging them to devise a method to allow volunteers in the study placebo arms to receive the vaccine while also maintaining the integrity of ongoing data collection. How do uh, you do that? Yeah, EUA was not grounds for stopping blinded follow-up. And then one method, this was endorsed by Dr. Fauci, actually, and I think it was kind of interesting. It's called a blinded crossover study. So basically what it would mean is that the placebo recipients were given the vaccine. Sorry, I'm not saying this right. So they initially you'd have your patients who get the vaccine, the ones who just get the placebo. You, mon- you monitor them for a year and then you cry, okay, we're going to switch over. The people who get the placebo get the vaccine people get the vaccine just get the placebo they don't know they're blind and the people who give them the vaccine or whatever dose they get they don't know and that way you have a year that you can monitor them over this time and you can kind of have some kind of data and that way uh it can kind of maintain the integrity but at the same time i'm like if they if they initially if they if they monitor them for two months and then they see oh it's more efficacious in the the vaccine group then they're like, okay, well, then we have to apply for emergency use authorization and then we're stuck in this dilemma again. So how, I really don't know how you would, um, how you would, how would you maintain it? Companies have said the demands of such a design as well would be too onerous and would be fe- would not be feasible. And asking the FDA about whether they had set any baseline requirements for the companies regarding the removal of blinding the agency declined to answer referring to the journal the journal to the respective referring them to the journal of the respective companies and Moderna didn't answer about the requirements needed to remove blinding while Pfizer said the move was completely optional but would be encouraged to remain blinded so that doesn't really mean anything and it's just like ask the question, could the FDA have demanded that the companies use it, a blinded crossover design in order to win full approval? Because now we're going to lose this reliable data. So it's just kind of, yeah, worrying. And the thing is, uh, at the moment, yeah, the EUA is only include up to six weeks after follow-up, which mightn't be long enough to detect safety signals. And it's like, this is an RNA technology that's never been used before. And we're going to end up losing potential data on safety long term. Uh, and this is like, this is kind of the worry now because will we be able to sit tell? So you're raising a couple of red flags in terms of the well, that, that, design? It's just, I think the design, that's just the thing. I suppose in a way, it's a tr- it's a very tricky, but I think EMA, the European agency and the FDA should have been like, okay, you have to do the design. You can't unblind the results. I'm sorry. 
this is how it is. I suppose it's unethical, but would we want to not know the results? Because if this two years afterwards and we don't have enough data and it's kind of like, well, it's pointless then. Uh, and that's just that. And I, I suppose maybe it's not as, I suppose, uh, a big of a deal with the Oxford one because that's a kind of a known var, var vector that they've used before. But this is just because this has never been used before. So yeah. it kind of makes you think, well, yeah, then they should be using something that we're very sure that will work that that is safe sorry long-term safe so neither agencies are anything in place in terms in, in for like to address a scenario like this when there is some sort of outbreak and new technology is being developed mm. and they just did there was but nothing the, the, but the way i look at it i suppose immediately if anyone was listening we gone like okay well then that's a sign i shouldn't get it because i don't know what the long-term effects is all i can say is uh we have to weigh up the risk. So the risk of getting COVID and all that entails and long-term effects with COVID, possible hospital admissions, hospital admissions are crazy everywhere right now, so you wouldn't want to do that, uh, versus a potential long-term effect that could happen down the line with this mRNA vaccine. Again, I think you did a really good job on explaining like it's it shouldn't really have that long-term impact Um mm in the system so you're weighing out if you're really abstaining from this vaccine just because a hypothetical potential danger you're increasing the risk of this immediate danger that seems to be more significant i would think so that's why i would still think the risk of getting covid and all the trouble that entails i think is higher than a potential hypothetical in the future what do you think yeah, I mean, on the daily basis, I ingest more carcinogens just from the processed <laughs> food that I buy than what will be in that vaccine, I think. Mm. Um, there is uh, there is always a risk in you taking on any sort of medication, whether it's an, it's an old or new a new medication. Like, there is always some risk because it's a foreign substance to your body. And, you know, the, the scientists and the doctors, they don't the best job nobody's in the business of killing people at least not yeah. not not in this scenario so they're really trying to cover they cover their bases because you know nobody wants to have a like sick people and you know you being responsible for this so i i, I have to trust that they are safe yeah. and i will well, look, never they discourage they anyone from taking it yeah i think when they have got approved by the ema and fda both of them you have to say that they you have to trust put your trust in them that they know what they're doing it just seems like a bit of an oversight about this whole issue that they the it was back in november oh, sorry back in october they set to announce this and nothing was really done they were like well we have to we have to let the the, the placebo people know and it's crazy like even the Moder i read the moderna even just before they got eua they were already offering it to they were already like okay if you want to find out if you got the vaccine or not just let us know so if you really wanted to know you just have to get in contact with them yeah because yeah imagine if they would decide like we are not gonna uh un we're not gonna unravel this we're just gonna keep like that and then you know that's not cool no so what do you do i think well, you I just have to come up with a better design for your protocol your vaccine tri the trial that's that's what we need and need to be uh stringent stringently tested 
uh, by whoever is approving the drug, the vaccine. I mean, there's a bunch of people that are adamant about not getting vaccinated. Just get them, inject them with the saline. There's a control group. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not going to feel bad for not getting the vaccine because they don't want it in the first place. <laughs> but okay, this is probably not feasible scenario, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. What would you do? Well, hopefully that's, like, I just said, I don't, I think you should yeah. yeah, do have a proper protocol in place that this is taken care of that we don't lose out on these patients. So yeah, that's just what I wanted to say that I, it seems like a bit of an oversight. Um, but again, I still think the, the risk of COVID and what you could happen to you versus like a hypothetical risk down the line. I still think I would take the vaccine. So, yeah, no, I'm, de- I think we definitely are like pro vaccines. Yeah. Um, so, and then the other thing I wanted to mention, so, uh, we already talked about that. They released the, their data, the two, two journal publications and around 400 pages of summary data are available in the form of multiple reports um, presented by and to the FDA prior Yeah, basically they've released their data, Pfizer and Moderna, about the COVID-19 vaccine. And it was something I was reading about. We kind of try and go into the papers anyways and mm. explain them. And I suppose what I just wanted to do is lay out what maybe uh, questions they had about the results and I suppose I wanted to just lay it out for people uh I still think maybe I shouldn't even say that but I still think the what the I still think the you should get it but I suppose I want people to be aware Pfizer vaccine again basically quick uh a quick reminder that they they enrolled 44,000 people uh there was eight cases of COVID among those who got had the vaccine and 162 among those who received the placebo and it was shown to be 95% effective in preventing COVID and it was seen across age, sex, race, ethnicity, etc, etc and they reckon that a two-dose regimen of this vaccine confers 95% protection in its COVID in persons aged 16 years of age or older uh, and then a safety over a medium of two months was similar to that of other viral vaccines. So very promising from the abstract looks great made top papers exactly but that is well you're all I, even i said i was like 95 percent is very unusual <laughs> it's very high like you were like you wouldn't if you would seen that normally you'd be like okay that's too it, good to be true it's like the it's like the ads with the you know domestos or something like kills 99.9 percent <laughs> of bacteria <laughs> yeah 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 so okay so in the paper so they, as I said, 170 PCR confirmed cases split 8 to 162 between the vaccine and placebo group. But these d- numbers were dwarfed by a category of disease called suspected COVID-19. So these were symptomatic COVID-19, but they weren't confirmed by PCR. And according to the FDA report on the Pfizer vaccine, there was 3,410 total cases in the suspected but unconfirmed COVID-19 in the overall study population. 1,594 in the vaccine group, 1,816 in the placebo group. So that wasn't that big of a difference. No. Uh, With 20 times more suspected than confirmed cases. So there was a lot more of these suspected cases that they couldn't 
confirmed by PCR. This is another thing actually I wanted to say. Why they couldn't confirm them by PCR? Because they it wouldn't didn't come up positive. Uh so they did PCR. Yeah, they did the PCR on this, but they did came up negative. Actually, one thing I wanted to mention about this quickly is that an unusual aspect in the disease management of COVID is that a positive test result is the sole criteria for a true COVID-19 case, which is really unusual for a disease. Normally, you have it's only a support a test is support for the clinical diagnosis. It's not a substitute. But in this situation with COVID, uh, you don't you can't diagnose if they have a lot of the symptoms. It's only through the test. So this is the worry is like, okay, they had they were suspected, but they couldn't diagnose them as Quevin COVID because they didn't get a positive PCR test. Um, so what they said, this is I'm reading this off the British Medical Journal opinion. Mm-hmm. Um so with 20 times more suspected than confirmed case, you would think you can't really ignore this because there was no positive PCR test. And it you're like, okay, what's going on here? Uh, and a rough... Okay, this is the kind of weird bit. A rough estimate of vaccine eff- efficacy against developing COVID-19 system with or without a PCR test would be... What could you get? What would you guess it at? So this is including all the... With PCR, without suspected with and without PCR, so they would obviously lower the the efficacy of the vaccines. Uh oh, God. Okay, I hate those quizzes when you give me them. I'm gonna say down to whatever was the first dose, fifty two percent. It it would be a risk a relative risk reduction of nineteen percent. So, so you, you drop you only have an efficacy you'd only have an efficacy of 19%. And that's far below the 15% efficacy threshold for authorization set by regulators. And so, even if you remove the cases occurring within seven days of vaccination, because we'll just say like, okay, uh, they within seven days, they're not, they don't have immunity. So we won't like count that as being efficacy, having been efficacious, efficacious, whatever the word is. Because you you would like okay after seven days the vaccine should give you more efficacy, and if you look within the in the data so it was within seven days four hundred nine with the vaccine versus two hundred and eighty seven on the placebo got COVID within the seven days so we'll just get rid of them. Uh, the vaccine efficacy still would remain low at twenty nine percent. This is with uh, this this these numbers. That is soul crushing. <laughs> So you're telling me they, because of the data manipulation, they went from 95 to 19. So (laughs) basically it's just because they have this. Oh my God. (laughs) This is just because they don't, they didn't include this, this weird suspected, but unconfirmed COVID-19. So whoever had symptoms, just to break it down for me, whoever had symptoms, but didn't confirm with COVID positive PCR, they were kicked out from the whole analysis. No, they weren't. So they only, yeah, they only looked at the people who were confirmed PCR positive in their cases. In their, in their, like, okay, we, we, what, yeah, that's how you, when you come to an endpoint, you're like, okay, we're going to stop it at a certain amount of cases in the group, in the population, in their groups. And they only wanted to see positive PCR cases. That's what they would use. But there was a load of these 340. 3,410 total cases suspected of unconfirmed COVID. So 
it's just a bit like that's a huge number of suspected yeah. but unconfirmed. It is it is a bit unusual. Yeah, so if many of these suspected cases were in people who had a false negative PCR test, this would dramatically decrease the efficacy. But considering that influenza-like illnesses have always had a myriad of causes, we could be like, okay, maybe it is a different virus um, that was causing these symptoms, and potentially they weren't COVID at all. Would there be a way, is that a way to kind of... If it's not COVID, do you think they should they should just keep at it and trying to figure out is it just a common flu? I mean, is it just a common cold? Not, not yeah, common yeah. You would think. I don't know. It's I suppose it's like that's that to do that resource is kind of a bit difficult. Uh, yeah, but they have a kind of a discrepancy between their efficacies. <laughs> I know. Yeah. They should have. Yeah, it's just it's just the way they classified their their endpoint is like it has to be a positive. PCR test maybe they like it says here should they have just said suspected plus confirmed COVID-19 would that be in a better endpoint than just confirmed COVID-19 but then they they wouldn't make the efficacy threshold is that what you said well yeah it would the efficacy would have went way down yeah it wouldn't make the papers like who would be interested in that vaccine <laughs> uh yeah but it's still but yeah on the other hand you can say like okay pcr was negative but they were still having like some sort of symptoms and we know, all know that covid symptoms overlap with like common cold or or flu symptoms so like i think it is within the argument that they should try to diagnose these people what yeah. is it yeah it would make and the, and the weird yeah so and the thing is uh this these these 300 and sorry 3410 the Pfizer 92 page report didn't mention these nor did the publication in the New England Journal of Medicine nor did any of the reports on the Moderna vaccine and the only source that appears to have reported it is the FDA's review of the Pfizer vaccine that's yeah I actually read the New England new the, oh you read that yesterday for the Pfizer, the yeah. at the end of the first clinical trial, right? This is the paper you're talking about. When they yeah. uh, when yeah. they proclaimed the ninety five percent. It was published on the tenth of December. Yeah, I think I even have it. Oh, 30, sorry, it was the thirty first. Sorry, thirty first of thirty first December. Yeah, so, well, yeah, that, it it doesn't matter if I have it open or not. But yeah, that's kind of and only that's FDA crazy. reported on it. Seems like it, yeah. And then there's another thing here. <laughs> if that wasn't enough <laughs> just add fuel to the fire uh, that's crazy but again PCR is a golden standard at least for COVID mm. um, for diagnosing it oh yeah okay <laughs> what else do you have there okay so in the FDA's review of the Pfizer vaccine 371 individuals excluded from the efficacy analysis for important protocol deviations on prior to seven days after dose two. What is concerning is the imba imbalance between the randomized groups in the number of these excluded individuals, 311 from the vaccine group versus 60 and the placebo. What were these protocol deviations in the Pfizer study and why were there five more times more participants excluded in the vaccine group? The FDA report doesn't say and these exclusions are difficult to spot, even spot in Pfizer's report and journal publication. 
So basically, they don't want to tell. <laughs> I don't know. Like, what? What? It just, yeah, it's. In, in fairness, in the Moderna trial, there was only just 36 participants excluded for major protocol deviation, and that was 12 in the vaccine group versus 24 in the placebo, but that's very high in the Pfizer one. And there is me trying to preach about transparency of science and these guys just <laughs> hiding stuff. It's weird because it's like, oh, they, yeah, it's, it's on you. Well, they can get it. It's just the way it is. The, it, this is how, and again, this is how COVID is. It's through a positive test. So they can get it. This is how you can report it. Um, I mean, it's true. It is positive test. And this is another thing I thought was interesting. So your man, he, he wrote this article, he said, I expressed concern about the potential confounding role of pain and fever medications to treat symptoms. Uh, and he said that drugs could mask the symptoms and leading to under detection of COVID-19 cases, possibly in greater numbers in people who receive the vaccine in an effort to treat or prevent adverse events. Uh, even though they actually said that this was very limited, so it actually wasn't that big of a deal. Mm, I think he's neat picking here. Wait. Yeah, they said there was a higher rate of medicine medication use in the vaccine arm than the the placebo arm, and that maybe that when they were taking the medicine medication that they mightn't have been reporting on the actual side effects, but. Mm, maybe yeah, he is a bit nitpicking. I think so. I mean, and this you, is yeah. Go on, sorry. No, I was just gonna say that yeah, I think he was on this high horse maybe. of showing things that shouldn't have been shouldn't have been done or should have been done differently, and he he just started picking things out of nowhere. And the the last point I wanted to make was the the primary event adjudication committee so they were just to like look at the the outcome they were uh they don't know if they were blinded uh at all and that they said that pfizer's protocol had three pfizer com employees in this primary event adjudication committee so basically they were not like uh, unbiased or neutral they were definitely obviously yeah going to be biased towards finding a positive outcome uh well actually moderna actually had uh named its four member adjudication committee and they were all university affiliated physicians so that was actually more above board so yeah it just it's just something that was interesting that i can't believe they kind of left out <laughs> Wow, okay. Should we change the name to Conspiracy Inclined? Yeah. <laughs> I uh, mean, well, if it's true, it had to be said. So fair play for finding this this out. Um, I think we really have to wait and see. Well, like, just people have to get vaccinated and when time, in time, when time will be able to say to what extent do they work. Is it actually 95% or is it actually 19%? Yeah. You yeah, know? it's so yeah. Time will tell, won't it? Because uh, well, I, I'm actually, I'm actually person on the personal level. I'm not worrying about long term effects of mRNA at all. This is not my worry. I'm just thinking about the immunization. How is that gonna? How is that? Is it? Is this the ninety five percent or is or is it nineteen percent? Because if it's nineteen percent, 
we can find out that even if you get vaccinated, you still won't be allowed to leave the country or anything like that, you know? Yeah. So, it's just, uh, and it's just kind of like, because, yeah, it doesn't prevent transmission, so it's still going to... It's just that you won't, hopefully, won't end up going to the hospital as much and getting severe symptoms. But then it's just that, yeah, when it's such a high... <laughs> yeah, I think the more people have it, the more the more people will be av- able to uh, to survive the disease you know with the mild symptoms or without any or without with mild symptoms and then they would recover quicker and you know that's the the less risk of uh, spreading disease that way you know if you recover quicker yeah you're not gonna be necessarily walking to too many places while being sick yeah yeah but i think in the next episode i definitely want to talk about transmission particularly asymptomatic transmission um i was going to talk about it today but then i wanted to kind of mention this uh and i think this is like such a a boogeyman topic right now and that that's like oh what will it stop transmission asymptomatic so i just want to definitely uh kind of go into a bit more detail and explain it for people break it down um for people to understand um, and actually, one of the comments on this was, this is the last thing I wanted to say, was, yeah. could it be that the mRNA vaccine produced enough antibodies to reduce the viral load enough to turn the PCR test into a false negative and then it allevi- plus alleviate symptoms enough that the patient still has symptoms but not severe enough to need hospitalization? Could that's that be... vaccine. Yeah, but that maybe that could have been why... I suppose then why would you still see such a high rate in both the in both of them yeah i was just like maybe that could have been a reason that you he had so many of these was it symptomatic covid19 but not pcr confirmed maybe i suppose yeah you would expect them to be high anyways in the placebo group they don't have any immunity maybe this is it possibly that the it just it was reducing the the antibodies were helping produce reduce the the viral load and that's why you were getting a, a, a low low rate of positivity pcr positive and that they weren't really having they didn't have symptoms either in the immunized group yeah yeah well yeah but that would be sort of showing that the vaccine does what it was supposed to do yeah but uh, why didn't they <laughs> why didn't they i'm sure they probably thought about that i, I can't believe that two of us here came up with the idea to explain something that they didn't thought about before but they had they must have had their own reasons um i mean they're yeah i'm sure they i don't want to believe that they just lied and purpose yeah but like it's not it's not to say like it's some conspiracy that oh you're going to get sick it's it's just like we're this what we're realistically saying is that is the efficacy as high and i don't think it is as high as they're saying but is it as low as 19% or 29%? That's the issue. And I think on the, on the, on the positive note, I think we delivering what we have promised, uh, being skeptical about science. So, you know, I laid it out to you. Uh, I still going to get the vaccine. Hopefully I'll be getting it this week with the Pfizer one. Okay. And look, the EMA again, FDA have done all this, uh, research they i'm sure they have investigated this and they still think it's okay so again we just have to kind of trust that they have enough knowledge to think that it was acceptable the only risk is that this is such a political thing now again yeah uh, there's so much pressure on getting these vaccine and even with the with 
with the EMA like being thorough with the Pfizer one and people are like why are they why are Europe being so slow they're too slow about it we like you and then the UK was going ahead of it of us so like well, UK I, has to prove that they are better now, that they are not inside the EU, so they have to get things yeah. done quicker than they would have done with the EU. Mm. I mean, look, if they, if they will be released too quickly and something bad would happen, there will be an outcry. They they taking them time and doing things yeah. slowly, there is an outcry. You know, it's not about pleasing people. Uh, it's about, you know, doing the best job that you possibly can, given the circumstances. Yeah. And you're never going to make everyone happy. No, no. So, yeah, it was just interesting. I, I just wanted to kind of mention it anyways. Uh, let us know what you think uh, on our Instagram, Skeptically Inclined, and our Twitter, at Skeptically I. Yeah. You can email us as well, skepticallyinclined at gmail.com, skeptically with a C. And, yeah, thanks for tuning in then. Uh, I hope it wasn't too much of a downer at the end there i still think it's very promising and we have to be hopeful and it doesn't it, yeah just be hopeful we have to be hopeful yeah says the guy People. who just dropped down the efficacy to 19 <laughs> percent. guys i hope you all truly enjoyed this episode yeah uh, i like this little conspiracy vibe going on into it <laughs> i really like it i think evan you did a great job I hope you you can enjoy it and I hope you're going to tune in for the next episode yeah. where Evan's going to describe asymptomatic transmission in in COVID. So in, this is in COVID, yes. Yeah, so this is the big boogeyman right now I think especially in the vaccine research they're like oh does it stop transmission does it stop what about asymptomatic because it seems like everyone the super big super spreaders are asymptomatic. I'm just going to like is this actually a truth or not and I want to okay. kind of give it make it a bit more clear for people so even even if it's negative please make it a positive story (laughs) (laughs) i know yeah i really am not good for if you're looking for (laughs) rainbows and sunshine don't i don't think it's worth i this we hit we have the hard facts we're gonna we give them the hit them with the truths because our audience can handle it all right ben shafira facts (laughs) have no feelings (laughs) on that note take care stay skeptical Stay skeptical. Bye.